You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Is it working? Okay. No pressure at all. Oh, man. Well, I am excited to be up here with you guys this morning. Um, the message that I'll be talking about today was actually the message that I was supposed to preach uh, a few weeks ago, um, and some of you guys may not have heard of that. We were in a pretty bad car accident. Uh, we had taken a group of young adults uh, to the beach for the day, just to have a beach trip, and uh, on our way back, a uh, lady crossed over the median and T-boned us, and uh, I was sitting in the back seat. Uh, my wife offered to drive. We don't normally drive like that, just to get it out there. But uh, I was supposed to preach the next day, and so Ashley was like, hey, you've been off the beach all day. Why don't you sit in the back, and you can work on your message notes for tomorrow morning, and I'll drive. And uh, <laughs> we had anyone who, could, who was there could tell you we had a pretty rough day that day, just in terms of, like, Jaden's giving me the thumbs up in the back. It was a pretty rough day. We had a run-in with lifeguards and all sorts of stuff, and I, I remember getting into the back of the car and as I'm getting into the back of the car, I told myself, this day can't get any worse. Five minutes later, five minutes later, I'm working on my sermon notes, close my eyes just for a quick second to think how I was going to word something. I hear my wife scream, I open my eyes, and the car slams into my door. Um, so I'm just thankful to be here, um, thankful to be alive. Um, had a pretty bad knot on my head. Uh, my life flashed before my eyes, and talking with people um, who saw the accident, they said it wasn't that bad, and I'm known for being overdramatic. I get it from my mom, and uh, if she watches this, she knows it's true. And um, yeah, I thought I was going to die, and uh, I was sitting on the grass waiting for the ambulance and waiting for the police officers to show up, and I thought to myself... This is how it ends. This is how it goes. I taught my whole life that I was going to go preaching the gospel. You know, I thought my whole life that I was going to be up on a pulpit and in, on the mission field somewhere, and then I was going to get killed that way. Um, but I was wrestling with the reality that, no, it was an old lady in a Kia <laughs> that was going to take me out. Um, there's nothing glorious about that. Um, but uh, thankful to be here. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I was, I was cracking that joke with the guys in the ambulance. I just kind of have a, a little bit of a darker sense of humor. And I was like, yeah, I thought it was it. And he was like, it's not that bad, dude. Like, no. <laughs> thought it was it. I pulled out my phone and started working on my funeral plans as I was going in and out of consciousness. Of like, I want Simple Man by Leonard Skinner played. And... <laughs> Here's what I want on my headstone, and here's where I, or if I have a, if I don't have a headstone, here's where I want my ashes scattered. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, I um, just want to say that I'm happy to be here. I love this church. I love this team. I love you guys. Um, today we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, most important thing that we can talk about, the most important person that we can talk about. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you guys to go to Hebrews chapter 1. And you guys are in for a treat because I'm going to teach through the entire book of Hebrews in one message. In probably about 30 to 40 minutes. 
Um, and I can do that because uh, the opening paragraph of Hebrews contains the entire message of the rest of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Everyone say, by his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the... Before I finish this sentence, I want you to feel the full weight of this. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I just ask for the spirit of revelation today. I ask for an encounter with Jesus this morning. Not an encounter with me preaching Jesus, but an encounter with the real and living Jesus for everyone in this room, for unbelievers and for believers, those who have walked away and those who are being welcomed back, those who never left, those who just want to grow deeper and closer with you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just remove the scales from our eyes that keep us from seeing you clearly? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you come now. That you come now for the rest of the message, for the rest of the service, Holy Spirit, that you brood over us like you did in Genesis chapter 1. That you brood over our hearts, that you brood over our minds. And that you reveal the Son to us. Holy Spirit, the word that you inspired through the prophets, through the apostles, through the writers of scriptures, the word that you inspired, Lord, make it come alive to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, how many of you guys have a smartphone? Just a show of hands. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, I um, got my first smartphone in 2013, somewhere around there. Um, prior to that, I had one of those like sidekick phones that you would like flip out and I had the keyboard on it and stuff. Um, and it, it hit me the other day that I have always, even my parents, when they had phones and everything like that, um, they still have phones, not when they had phones. When The phones that they had when I was growing up is a better way of saying it. They always had smaller phones. Uh, do you guys remember like the old school Nokias that you could use as a weapon in the event of something bad happening? Like you could run it over with a car, drop it to the bottom of the ocean, you know, uh, shoot at it. It's still going to work. Um, my dad had one of those uh, for most of my life. And then he got his hands on a flip phone and Nextel. You guys remember Nextel's? like the yellow construction worker Nextels that like you could leave on a job site, get ran over by an 18-wheeler, and, and it would still work, and it had the chirp effect that you could use as a walkie-talkie as well. 
had one of those. Um, and it hit me that in most of the movies that I've watched, I'm an 80s movie and early 90s movie uh, nerd, and um, all of the big phones that they had back then. I mean, these things are bricks. I mean, you see them like this big. How many of you guys had those? You guys can admit this. You guys can admit this. It's okay. It's not a, it's not a trick question. How many of you guys had like the big brick phones? Yeah. I uh, was helping um, my parents move back when I was younger. Um, so I guess we were all moving. Um, I was helping the family move. Um, and uh, my job was to go through all of the closets and make sure that everything had been picked up in the closets. Uh, back at that time, if my dad is, my dad will probably be watching this. Um, my dad does not like moving. Um, well, let me rephrase that. My dad doesn't like being the only person lifting all the heavy stuff when it comes to moving. But the thing is, is like when he gets mad, he just does it all himself. And so if like no one's helping, I've literally seen the man, okay? Like no joke, this isn't what I'm talking about, but I just, I'm reliving this moment. I remember me and my brother helping my dad carry um, a washing machine down a pretty steep hill. We, I grew up in North Charlotte. We had a pretty steep hill as our driveway. And so we're carrying this washing machine down the steep driveway. And my brother kept dropping it. Like this is a heavy, like expensive machine. My brother kept dropping it. And every time he would drop it, I would see the vein begin to bulge in my dad's neck and like in his forehead. And so finally he just yelled, stop. And he bear hugged it and just walked it the rest of the way. And I was like, if you could have done that beforehand, why did you need us helping you in the first place? It makes absolutely no sense. Um, but anyway, so my job, um, that one's free of charge. I'll probably use that for another sermon later on one day. Um, but my job was to go into all of the closets and make sure that nothing was left behind. I don't know, I, I've moved almost, when I was growing up, moved almost every year when I was, from when I was 14 to when I was 19. So five years. Every single year, I moved to a new spot. And so we, got, we became professional movers. And um, nothing is more irritating than getting the U-Haul completely loaded up and being down the road and then realize that you left something at the house that you didn't need to go back. And yet it's happened with everything from like, coats to specific shirts. My dad, uh, I left a gun one time in a house and had to go back and get this hunting rifle. Um, and that's one thing you don't want to leave behind because it was very expensive. And um, one time when I was a kid, I believe I was 14. Um, so it was our first move. When I was 14 years old, I was cleaning through a closet and I was in my parents' closet, which don't recommend. And <laughs> Um, I found um, a box. I found uh, more like a bag, a leather bag. It was about the size of uh, this MacBook, and it was, it was black and leather and everything, and I had no idea what I'd found. Um, I thought I had found like a little um, like toiletry bag or, or something like that. And I remember just wanting to know what this thing was. I ripped it open, and it was a phone. And I'm like, what the heck is this thing? Because it, it, the numbers were on the back of the phone, which I had never seen before, like in my life. Um, it had a long, at this point, we had never had a phone that had like a cable to it. This is my first time ever seeing a phone with a cable to it. We'd always had like the wireless phones. So I'm seeing like, why is this phone connected to this bag? And then on the other end of the bag was a cigarette lighter port. 
And I'm like, what is this contraption? And I went running downstairs. I'm like, what? My first thought was my dad's a secret agent. I'm like, (laughs) my dad has been keeping it a secret that he's actually in the CIA. And um, so we found, I found this bag. I took it to him and he told us it was, oh, that was years and years and years ago before cell phones were, you know, this small. Uh, You would have this phone in your car. It's called a car phone. Um, and you could, if it was plugged into the battery of your car, you got two phone calls before your battery completely died. You have to go jumpstart your car every time you had to make a phone call. Um, and then I became obsessed with it. I thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life. Uh, my brother and I played army a lot. I know a much, bunch of us boys probably played army and stuff. And so we used it at that time, my favorite movie, um, 14 years old, probably shouldn't have been my favorite movie with Saving Private Ryan. And... <laughs> Um, my brother, I would make my brother wear it and like run and we would use it to call in airstrikes on other neighborhood kids. It's like one of the most vivid childhood memories I have is us with like fake guns calling in airstrikes on other kids. Um, and that phone itself on the bag with my little brother on the bag, that phone probably weighed 25 pounds. Um, so he's running with 25 pounds and now he's an athlete. So he can thank me because I was doing weight training with him way, way, way back then when we were just playing. Um, and I, I started thinking about this, comparing um, my iPhone to that massive bag phone that my dad had kept. And last I checked, he still has it. I don't know why he still has it, maybe for a rainy day. Um, but I started comparing it, and, and the realization hit me that as, as time progresses, technology um, tends to get better. Things team, seem to get Um, superior and better to previous iterations of things. So look at this massive car phone that you got two phone calls on. And then now uh, here I am with uh, my cell phone, my iPhone. Um, This thing has a camera built in. That one didn't have a camera built in. Back then, you know, the cameras were massive, the Polaroid type. Um, So now this has a camera on it. I can make phone calls from it. I can send emails from it. I can text from it. Um, there's a lot that I can do with this. I mean, this pretty much for some people has completely replaced a computer. Um, I feel like this, this concept of progress or things getting better or superior as time moves on, and please don't confuse this with the political understanding of progress, um, is that the same is true also for how God has revealed himself throughout time. As time progresses, we tend to get better understandings of of who God is. You can see this in the story of Scripture. I would argue that uh, I would argue that John the Baptist's understanding of who Jesus is is better than Noah's understanding of. of well, I would argue that John the Baptist's understanding of who God is is better than Noah's understanding of who God is. And this isn't a new concept. This is actually a theological concept that's called the doctrine of progressive revelation, which means that as time progresses, God continues to reveal himself in in new ways. Um, One major way that he does this is through what we call theophanies. Theophanies theophanies mean appearances of God, where God comes down and he reveals himself in a new way to somebody. Um, Earlier, Shea was talking about the theophany with Abraham, where Abraham showed up and called Abraham into something better and greater and newer. That is known as a theophany. 
Other ways are when God reveals a new aspect of his nature, um, at least in the biblical text, he reveals a new aspect of his nature through um, his name, who, what his name is. So, for example, in the story of Abraham, again, Abraham and Lot, um, Abraham takes Lot up on the mountain to sacrifice him at the command, or at least what he thinks is the command of the Lord. And uh, he gets up there and he's getting ready to um, kill Lot, and then God speaks, and essentially he says, hey, the whole Canaanite deity thing is not who I am. That's not what I I have for you. Um, Instead, I've made a provision, Um, and over here is the ram caught in the thorn bush. And um, Abraham exclaims, my God, my provider. Jehovah, my provider. And what that means in that moment is prior to that moment, Abraham didn't know that God was his provider. So there's this new understanding, this new revelation of who God is that Abraham is being invited and welcomed into. And the same is true for us. God has revealed himself to us throughout history. Um, And this theme of better and superior, what we'll be talking about today, is actually one of the main themes throughout Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is a very interesting book. Um, I've taught on Hebrews before. Um, Hebrews is an interesting book because, one, we have no idea who wrote it. It's anonymous. I personally believe it was the Apostle Paul that wrote it. Um, But we don't know that for sure. It's a question we can ask when we get to heaven. Um, But even though it's anonymous, um, it carries a very important message. Um, the, The... the letter to Hebrews, the to, letter to the Hebrews, um, I would argue is one of the most important letters that we have in the New Testament, and and I wish, um, for for charismatics, for Pentecostals, for those of us who believe in the wildness and craziness of the Holy Spirit and um, the reality that, that we are one with the Lord and, and the reality that supernatural things happen, um, I really wish that we would dive a little bit further into Hebrews. Um, because what tends to happen, and we'll talk about this in a minute, what tends to happen is for us as Pentecostal charismatic believers is we tend to focus on the thing instead of the person. We tend to focus on the wild, crazy, supernatural stuff. Someone got shabbed to the floor and people are circled around them and the person's shaking or, or someone has an angelic encounter or, or there's a healing, there's a prophetic word and it's, we can become so wild with the thing that we forget that it's meant to point to a specific person. And the specific person that's supposed to point us to is Jesus. Um, and what I said earlier was this opening paragraph for the book of Hebrews is the key to understanding the rest of the book. So as I'm talking through this, if you want to take notes, I'll go slow. Um, and um, I really hope that you come away with a better understanding of one, who Jesus is, and a better understanding of this book of Hebrews that we have, this letter to the Hebrews that we have. Um, the background for the letter of Hebrews is that at this time in history, um, Christians are being persecuted by two groups. 
They're being persecuted by Rome and they're being persecuted by the temple. Um, and to the Christians who were in Jerusalem, that's where we would assume the Christians who are reading this letter from is in Jerusalem or in other areas of the diaspora where um, the Jewish people scattered. Um, what we know for a fact is that many of them were being tempted to leave the faith and return back to their old ways because of the persecution that they were experiencing. And so Christians at this time would go to the temple and worship. They would go to the synagogue and worship. They had friends, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, everyone who would go to the temple. It was a part of the life. They were connected to their Jewish identity while also believing in Jesus. But there was the temptation of, hey, if you would just stop believing in this whole Messiah thing, the, the, the persecution would stop. And so whoever is writing this letter to the church, um, the, the Hebraic believers, their main point is, hey... Jesus is better. Um, Jesus is better. He is the ultimate source of authority in the life of a believer. In fact, that's my main point. If, if you want my main point, my main point is Jesus is the supreme revelation of who God is and the ultimate source of authority in the life of a believer. I'll say it again. Jesus is the supreme revelation of who God is and the ultimate source of authority in the, life of, um, in the life of a believer. And the author of Hebrews actually gives us three reasons as to why this is the case. I'm going to tiptoe through these, and I'm actually... Um, okay. What I'm feeling led to do um, is to walk through this... Um, and then I feel like the I feel like Jesus wants to encounter people this morning. Um, so let's talk about Jesus, and then we'll meet Jesus, but in a non-threatening way. Um, this is this is a non-threatening come to Jesus meeting. My whole life I heard that phrase. It's a come to Jesus meeting, and I'm like, awesome. I did not know that, like, <laughs> that I was about to get my butt tore up. Um, so, you want to meet Jesus? Yes. Yes, I do. No. 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 Um, okay, so the author of Hebrews gives us three reasons as to why this is the case about Jesus. Why is the supreme authority in the life of a believer and why he is the perfect representation of who God is. Um, reason number one. And he says this in the first couple uh, verses is, Jesus is a better messenger. So reason number one is Jesus is a better messenger. The author makes two contrasts in the opening two verses. The first contrast is, in former times and in various ways he spoke. So this is the first contrast. In, in, in former times and in various ways he spoke, he contrasts this with, in these last days he has spoken to us. So in previous times he spoke this way, and now he's speaking to us this way, which would mean the author is trying to highlight the importance of time to us. We are living in a different time than those who were hearing these words through the prophets. The second contrast is between the prophets and the son. Obviously he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, not fivefold prophets that we have in the church today. So the second contrast is between the prophets and the son, which means the author is trying to highlight the importance of the son above 
the prophets of old or other previous forms of revelation. I need to be very, very clear about what I'm saying here. Um, What I'm not saying is that the Old Testament or the writings under the Old Covenant are somehow less inspired now that Jesus is on the scene. Don't walk away hearing that. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that it's less inspired or that it's less authoritative or that Jesus has come to negate everything written before Matthew. Um, There are some pretty crazy theologies that assume that or, or teach that. What I'm saying is that Christ brings a superior word or revelation about who God is when compared to what was written under the Old Covenant. Is that clear? Okay, then reason number two, this is my next reason. Reason number two is Jesus is a better representation of God. Okay, so reason number one, Jesus is a better messenger contrasted with the prophets of the Old Testament. Reason number two is Jesus is a better representation of who God is. In verse three, we read two important statements about the Son which highlight his superiority to the prophets of old. First, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. This is important because it shows the nearness of Jesus. It shows the nearness of um, I lost my place. It shows the Christ's nearness to the Godhead. You can't reflect something you're not close to. So Jesus is the ultimate reflection. He is the um, better representation. He is the reflection of God's glory. And though the prophets heard, this is where we'll clarify this, and though the prophets heard, recorded, and proclaimed the word of God, Jesus' proximity to the face of God means the word he brings, the word that he is, is clearer. Second, Jesus is, I'm getting a little fired up and I'm not meaning to, I promise I'm not trying to give a lecture. This, uh, okay. Second, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. It's another way of wording that text. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. The word for exact imprint is character, where we get the idea of character from. And it has two ideas that come along with it. The first idea is that Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is the face of God. When you see Jesus, you see what God looks like. Second, like children should reflect the character of their parents, Jesus reflects the character of God. He represents who God is better than anyone who has ever come before him. So you guys, are you guys seeing now why the author of Hebrews is building this argument in saying why Jesus is better than anything that they had ever seen or heard or experienced before? Um, and then reason number three, I'll walk through this very, very quickly because I'm excited about what's going to happen after this. Reason number three, reason number three is Jesus is a better mediator. Jesus is a better mediator. So he's a better messenger. He's a better representation of who God is, and he is a better mediator. Second Temple Judaism, which is around the time frame that the, the, these letters are being written, Second Temple Judaism, saw angels as being mediators between God and man. With some scholars, one scholar I read um, 
Dr. Da Silva, he teaches at Emory University. He believed that early Christians and Jews at this time had become borderline angel worshipers. That they had become so enamored with the supernatural that it was no longer about Jesus. It was about this esoteric experience with angelic beings. And I think that we can kind of look at the, just do a cross cut of charismatic Pentecostal Christianity and say we're in the exact same place. Like that heresy has not left. And, and I say this as someone who, I mean, AJ, I don't think AJ's in the room right now, but if AJ was in here, uh, oh, he's in the back. I, I have had crazy angelic experiences, and I can sit down and walk you through them and talk to you about them. Me and AJ had a crazy one that happened right here in this room. No one else was in here except me and him, and we were standing right there. And uh, Andy Stapleton, I don't think he's here this morning, was walking by the room and snapped a picture of us having this encounter with the angel. We were literally like, there was a wind that was blowing in this room. And it was blowing from the front and it was blowing from the back. And when I looked down, I was standing on my tippy toes without any effort. It was like I was literally being lifted up off the floor. One of the most powerful encounters that I ever had. But you know what happened? I went home and I thanked God for it. And I said, how does this lead me closer to who Jesus is? I'm not anti-angelic expression or angelic experience. I'm not anti. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not anti-Holy Spirit. Um, I will slap every forehead in this room. <laughs> it's just the way I'm cut. I will slather my hands in anointing oil and everyone will be laid out by the end of the service. That's who I am. I love the Holy Spirit. But I think that we've become so enamored with the experience that we, we have left the person of who Jesus is all the way over here. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to pull the Christians back. He's saying, hey, listen, yeah, angels are cool. Angels are real. I'm not going to argue that with you, but we need to take our argument all the way back over here. And that is that Jesus is the better mediator. So they become borderline angel worshipers. The author of Hebrews wants to combat this. And this is one of the major elements which is only teased here, but is fleshed out as the letter progresses. So if you want to see this argument teased out, continue reading through the letter of Hebrews. Um, the best way to combat a false god, I would suggest reading the story of Dagon. The best way to combat a false god is to knock it off its pedestal. Um, and here we see two claims related to Jesus when compared to angels. And then the same argument is made to the priesthood that Jesus being a better um, mediator with regard to the priesthood. The first is that he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And two, he has a better name. Um, after making purification for sin, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, which the author later tells us is for the purpose of mediation. When we, when we think through the, the, when it says later on in Hebrews that Jesus is making intercession for us, it doesn't mean that he's blowing shofars and tambourines and he's walking around the room and he's shouting into the heavenlies. It means that he's being an intercessor, meaning he's standing in the gap. He is being our mediator between the Father and himself. Um, and this is why this is important is because knees won't bow to the name of Gabriel. Knees aren't going to bow to the name Michael. Knees never bowed to the name Aaron, the priest. Knees only bow to Jesus and to his name being superior to every other name. Um, so through that real quick. <laughs> Um, but I'm excited. My heart is racing. I feel like I like shotgunned a coffee before I got up here. I didn't. Um, Lord, help me. Um, so here's, here's 
another way of stating my point. If Jesus is the supreme revelation of who God is, which just got through arguing that point, and he's the ultimate source of authority in the life of a believer, we also argued that point. So if Jesus is the supreme revelation of who God is and the ultimate source of authority in the life of a believer, then I have absolutely no right to believe something about God that I don't see in the person work of Jesus. Um, help me, Lord. Um, one of my favorite teachers, and some of you guys will probably get mad at this. I don't care. Um, is Andy Stanley. I've loved Andy Stanley my whole life. I'd say probably theologically, he and I disagree quite a bit. Um, but the way that he talks about the resurrection and the gospel is probably my favorite presentation to listen to of, of that message. And one of the things that he taught his children to do, his children went off to university, and uh, he was explaining to them, teaching them, giving them tools like apologetics tools. Like, hey, when your professor says something crazy, here's how you respond to them. And eventually he walked into the room and said, hey, forget everything I told you beforehand. Like, just forget all that other stuff. Here's the only argument you will ever need. If one of your professors says, well, what about the Canaanite genocide? What about all the crazy passages in the Old Testament? What about this and what about that? You say, yeah, that sounds pretty crazy. But Jesus believed all those things. And if someone's going to predict their own death and pull it off, I'll go with what that person says. Best argument I've ever heard <laughs> for, uh, for, for all of these things, and it's true. Um, so here's two challenges. I have two challenges um, for us today. Um, to, to those of us who are believers in the room, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, some of us need to repent for how we see God. Repent not being a bad word. Repent not meaning that you've sinned and having this image of who God is. Repent meaning you're changing your approach. You're changing the way that you see. You're changing your mind, the way that you relate to who God is. Because if Jesus is a better messenger, then that means that there are no other messengers through whom to get to God. If Jesus is a better representation of who God is, then I need to pattern my life after who Jesus is. And if Jesus is a better mediator, then there's no other person that I can go to. There's no other temple that I can go to. There's no other priest that I can go to besides Jesus. And so here's the challenge that I have for you guys. Um, we'll, we'll transition to a time of prayer here in a minute, but this is the thought that I want you guys to think about. Is there anything that I am believing about God that is not found in the person and the work of Jesus? Is there anything that I am believing about God that is not seen in the person and the work of Jesus? Now, to those of us who are unbelievers or to those of us who are questioning things, those of us who maybe have drifted away from God but are questioning and, and maybe pulled back, um, wrestling with things. I've gone throughout my whole life and there have been seasons where I've been wrestling with what I believe about all of this. Here's the question or the challenge that I have for those of us who maybe don't identify as a believer, but they're, they're willing to probe deeper into who this is, into who Jesus is. 
maybe, just maybe, your idea of God isn't who God is. Maybe the God that you grew up um, hearing some sweaty preacher slam his fist down on a table and you're going to bust hell wide open and throw a King James at you from across the room and all of that. I've seen that. That's not a joke. I've seen that. Um, Maybe that representation of who God is is not who God is at all. I've had conversations with friends of mine who aren't believers. I have, I've had conversations with friends of mine um, who were believers at one point, and then they've walked away from the faith, or they've walked away from the church that they've always known and, and, and everything, and um, I ask them why. And then they outline, well, I can't believe in a God who blank, 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 insert reason. And my response is, I wouldn't believe in that God either. That's horrible. Let me introduce you to who Jesus said God is. So what I want us to do is let's all stand up. I think that's a record for the shortest message I've ever given. <laughs> um, That's what we'll do. Um, could we get some music on in the back, AJ? Cool. Um, it's, it's weird saying this, because um, I've talked about this before um, in previous messages of, of where I got saved 957 times at youth camp. <laughs> Because every single time an altar call was given, I would run to the front. Didn't matter if it was, you know, for single mothers. I was the first one at the altar. <laughs> um, I've, re- I've rededicated my life more times than I can count. Um, but I-, I really feel this from the Lord. If we could, um, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. there are some of us in the room right now that um, you could laugh about it at the time about the the rededicating your life 900 times at youth camp or wherever you were I feel like you could probably laugh about some of the weirdest altar calls that I've ever heard in my life you could probably add to that list All those times there was a representation of God being given to you that I would challenge and say was out of touch with the nature of God, was out of touch with the God that Jesus revealed.
And so what I want us to do in these next few minutes, I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. It's going to search the depths of your heart. But I need you to pray as well. This is what I want us to pray. We'll pray it all together. Holy Spirit, search my heart for anything that is a lie about God. Any lie that I have inherited, any lie that I have believed, any lie that I've, I've heard or been witness to, bring it up so that I can repent of it and reintroduce myself to Jesus. I'll just stay there for a minute or two. I feel like some of you guys will be reliving memories. Also want to stress the fact that if you came to faith in Jesus through someone with ulterior motives in a pulpit, that doesn't negate your salvation. It doesn't negate the gospel. Now, to those of us who identify as maybe we're, we're unbelievers or we're checking things out or we're questioning or, or whatever that looks like, um, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward or, or anything like that. I just want you to pray this as well. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. Jesus. I want you to reveal yourself to me. Jesus, show me who God is. I want the perfect revelation of God. Holy Spirit, as people are praying, as people are waiting on you, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and minister to us, to come and rest on us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Is there anyone in the room who's been um, suffering from insomnia? I really feel like the Lord said some people, like the rest is being stolen from people. That you just keep your hand up for a minute. I also feel like there's um, maybe one or two people in here who you... Since COVID, you've been having issues with your heart, um, almost kind of like arrhythmia or it, it like, I know it feels like something's off if you go up a flight of steps or something like that. It feels like your timer is off. Okay. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Is there someone here named Jace or Chase? Chase, I keep hearing Chase. That's anyone. I'm actually feeling like that's a private word. 
So I won't reveal it like this, but if your name is Chase, come find me, please. I want to pray for you. Okay. Maybe for him. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, if you raised your hand um, for the insomnia or for the heart issue, I want you to raise your hand again. Um, now, everyone, look around. If someone has their hand raised, um, I want to walk you through praying for that person. Um, first, ask them if it's all right if you lay hands on them. Yeah. All right. Now, once you have your hand placed on that person, we're going to keep it short. We're going to keep it simple. Most of Jesus' prayers were one to three words. So what I want you to do is, what I want you to do is uh, declare healing over this person. In the name of Jesus, we speak health over every person who raised their hand in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for rest. We thank you for rest, Jesus. <laughs> rest is the gospel. We get to rest in you, Jesus. So Lord, I just, I declare rest over them, insomnia. You have to leave right now in the name of Jesus. And to those who have been dealing with issues with their heart since COVID, we just, we proclaim that the heart will function in accordance with the way it was designed in the name of Jesus. Heart, we command you to come back into rhythm in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Obviously, this isn't something we can test right now unless you have narcolepsy, um, which we can pray for that too. Um, but thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, there's one more thing that I want to do just before we dismiss. We're getting out before noon. Getting out before noon. Tell John. <laughs> um, this, this, this actually may take a little bit longer, but I'm fine with that. Um, who just, like, who just wants a fresh touch from Jesus? Like, if that's you, like, honestly, come to the front, spread it all out. Come to the front, we'll lay hands on you or pray for you. I don't know if we have prayer team this morning, <laughs> uh, but leaders and staff can help. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
hey, prayer team, this is an all-hands-on-deck situation, so if you can come and help Red and alert. pray, that'd be great. Red alert. All right. Wow, almost everybody. Cool. Yeah, we're going to be here for a while after 12 o'clock. Um, could you guys just prepare your heart? Just go ahead and start preparing your part, heart. Um, scripture says that if we seek the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. And so right now, I just want you to make it very clear that the desire of your heart is Jesus. It is a fresh touch from the Lord. And whether that looks like someone getting baptized in the Holy Spirit or refilled with the Holy Spirit or someone getting healed or somebody calling out your social security number or whatever it looks like. Lord, we want it and we want more of it right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.